Good morning. This has been one of those wonderful weeks where I'm experiencing something that when I was younger I used to didn't experience. Allergies. And it's not fun. <laughs> Especially as that drainage just keeps draining and your, your voice isn't what you want it to be and you, you're swallowing and just all the stuff that goes with that. But anyway, we're going to open the Word of God today and I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 and also Acts chapter 1. Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1, you can see on the slide what the message is about today, the ascension of Jesus Christ. Recently, if you're visiting with us, uh, I've been preaching sermons that deal with events that took place in that interval between Jesus' resurrection and the day of Pentecost. The events surrounding the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus took place at Passover time. But 50 days after Passover, according to the Old Testament, God instructed the Israelites to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks took place when the wheat harvest would begin to come in, and they would thank God for providing for His people the provisions of God upon them. And the Feast of Weeks always occurred on the day following the seventh Sabbath after Pentecost, or after Passover. And so therefore, it would always fall on the first day of the week, because any day that follows the Sabbath is the first day of the week, sure. And so, the Feast of Weeks always fell on that first day of the week, 50 days after Passover. We know the Feast of Weeks as Pentecost. So there were 50 days between Passover, when Jesus died, and Pentecost. And after Jesus arose from the dead on the third day, he began to appear from time to time to different people. He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, then to over 500 of the brethren at one time, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to Paul, according to 1 Corinthians 15. Now in Acts 1, it's going to tell us that he appeared to them from time to time over a space of about 40 days. So 40 of the 50 days between Passover and Pentecost, Jesus is making these resurrection appearances. But today I want to focus in on what I believe is the greatest event that took place during those 50 days prior to the day of Pentecost, and that event is the ascension of Christ Jesus. So notice what Luke says in his gospel in chapter 24 and beginning in verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came about that while he was blessing them, he parted from them. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. So the disciples were in Jerusalem. 
Just as Jesus had commanded them, he had told them to go back and stay in the city until they'd been clothed with power from on high. They did that. And then Jesus appears to them one last time. He leads them out of the city. They cross the Kidron Valley. And they go up on the Mount of Olives to the little village of Bethany, which lay on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. He raises his hands, he is blessing them, and then he begins to rise, and he ascends back into the presence of the Father. And they watch as he disappears into a cloud. It was interesting in studying for this message how many commentators and scholars believe that the cloud that he disappeared into was the same cloud that led them through the wilderness wanderings. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And so they, they make note of that. Can't prove that, but there are several who believe that. So he's parted from them. Now go to Luke's account in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, Luke, of course, wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he also writes the book of Acts as well. And in Acts 1, beginning in verse 1, Luke says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. So Luke tells us here in Acts chapter 1, in the first couple of verses, that his gospel, the gospel of Luke that we looked at first, that gospel covered the beginnings of Jesus' ministry and covered and continued until the day when he was taken up, it said, or ascended back to the Father. And as we read here in the book of Acts, we read a more detailed account of that ascension from near Bethany there on the Mount of Olives. Mark mentions the ascension in Mark chapter 16. And in Mark 16, you may have a footnote in your Bible 
that will tell you that some of the oldest manuscripts do not contain verses 9 through 20. And that's true. But nevertheless, verse 19 does speak truth when it says, So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Matthew really doesn't uh, mention the ascension at all at the conclusion of his book. He concludes his gospel with Jesus meeting the disciples up in Galilee, where Jesus gives him what we call the Great Commission, saying, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. And that's how Matthew concludes his gospel. John does not end his gospel with the ascension of Jesus, but he does refer to it two or three times in his gospel. He refers to it as early as John 3, verse 13, when it says, And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. So early on, John, and John likes to put editorial remarks in to clarify something, to help something make sense. And John 3.13, if you read that in a red letter edition of the Bible, you will see that those words are in red as if Jesus spoke those words. That no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. Past tense, he who descended from heaven. Well, Jesus hadn't descended yet. Your red letter editions of the Bible, this is free information, I'm not charging for this. <laughs> Louis Klopsch, K-L-O-P-S-C-H, in 1899 came out with his first edition of a red letter Bible where he put what he believed were the words of Jesus into red. I believe personally that in John 3 he may have made a mistake and that verse 13 should be in black as a comment from John, not as words of Jesus. You don't have to agree with me on that, but it is, the ascension is mentioned in John 3.13. Then in John 6 verse 12, Jesus asked his disciples, What then if you should behold the Son of Man ascending where he was before? A question Jesus asked during his ministry. And indeed, as we've already seen, the disciples did see him ascend where he was before. Then in John 20, verse 17, he appears to Mary Magdalene after his resurrection. When she realizes that it really is Jesus, Jesus says to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. So John mentions the ascension, even though he doesn't conclude his gospel with it. Paul refers to the ascension several times in his writings. In Romans 8, verse 34, he says, Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. When did Jesus return to the right hand of God to intercede for us? Well, obviously when he ascended back into heaven. 
In Ephesians 1, 19 through 21, he says, What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And, and this is what happened at the ascension, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. In Ephesians 4, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And then Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, he says, By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. A reference to the ascension. So it's not as if the New Testament writers try to hide the ascension. It's there. And Luke gives us more details than anyone else. And it occurred to me that as I prepared for this message, even before I prepared for it, thinking about, I think I'm going to preach on the ascension, I realized in my 40 plus years of ministry, I had never ever preached on the subject of the ascension before. I had mentioned it. I had read it, but to preach just a sermon on the Ascension, I had not done that. But it's there, it's in the New Testament, but it's not just in the New Testament. It was mentioned or prophesied of in the Old Testament. David writes in Psalm 110 verse 1, The Lord says to my Lord, Set at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. God tells his Son, the Lord says to my Lord, set up my right hand until, when did he tell him that? When he had ascended back into heaven. Sit here at my right hand until I subject everything to you. Then Daniel foresees the ascension, I believe, when he writes in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. And says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed." And again, I believe that is a reference to the ascension when God highly exalted Jesus. So please know that the ascension of Jesus is a supremely important event recorded and referred to in the scriptures. But why? Why is the ascension of Jesus so important? Why is it so significant? And what does it mean to us? Well, first of all, it means that his kingdom has been inaugurated. The kingdom of Christ has been 
inaugurated. The Old Testament foretold that the great king would come and establish his eternal kingdom. Jesus was that king. And his very presence on earth made the kingdom near. In fact, what was the focus of John the Baptist's preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was the focus of Jesus' preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Or basically, here. Okay? Right. The kingdom of heaven was the focus of their preaching. Jesus is the king of that kingdom. And by defeating his enemies through his cross and resurrection, he formally and literally established his kingship over all things. And after his resurrection, as I mentioned in Matthew 28, verse 18, he declared, All authority has now been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And so by virtue of his resurrection and ascension, Jesus has now been exalted to the right hand of God, enthroned as king at God's own right hand. Now in John chapter 18, verse 33, Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And it's not. It's a heavenly kingdom. It is an unobservable kingdom in that sense, but it is yet right here in our midst. In Luke 17 and verse 20, it says, Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming... He answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, did you get that? The kingdom of God is right here in our midst, and it is not an observable, seeable kingdom with a king sitting on an earthly throne in an earthly palace or, or castle. But rather, our king, after completing his work of redemption here on earth, was raised from the dead, then ascended back to heaven, now sits on his throne at the right hand of God as our king. And in order to become a subject of his eternal kingdom, you must accept King Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and if you do, you'll live eternally in his kingdom. So the ascension of Jesus means that his kingdom has begun. His work on earth has been completed. And he has inaugurated his kingdom. Now from a biblical perspective, or a theological perspective, the resurrection, the ascension, and the enthronement of Jesus in heaven are all one grand interlocking event that can be designated as his exaltation. Jesus has been highly exalted as he ascended back to the right hand of his Father in heaven. And Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 how Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, Paul says, God highly exalted him. When was that? After he became obedient to the point of death on the cross. Therefore, based on that, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a great chapter in Philippians chapter 2. So for all practical purposes, after the resurrection occurred, and Jesus has appeared to his disciples over the space of about 40 days, the next logical step was for Jesus to return to the heavenly throne room that he had laid aside when he became in appearance as a man, but to return there and begin his reign over his kingdom. And so now he reigns from heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's one reason the ascension is so important to us because it inaugurated his kingdom. Here's the second thing. Jesus ascended into heaven to begin his heavenly ministry as high priest and the mediator of the new covenant. And the apostle Paul rejoiced at this, asking in Romans 8:34, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That's Jesus. Folks, we've got the best defense attorney that has ever lived. And when Satan, whose name means the accuser, when he accuses us before God, saying, you shouldn't let that person into your kingdom, why, do you know what they've done? They've done this and this and that. And he accuses us of sin, just as he accused Job before God in the book of Job. Satan is the great accuser. Listen, when he brings accusations against us before God, Jesus intercedes for us. And he declares us not guilty. Are we guilty? Yes, we are. We are declared not guilty. Why? Because we've been justified through the blood of Christ. He has justified us. That word justified means what? Just as if I'd never sinned. Have I? Yes, so have you. But the great thing about this is, is that the righteousness of Christ gets credited to our account. Because if God looks upon me in order to save me based on my own righteousness, what was it Isaiah the prophet wrote? All of my righteous deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord. I'm a goner. I'm lost if my salvation is dependent upon my own righteousness. But God fills my spiritual ledger, if you would, with the righteousness of Jesus. His righteousness is imputed to me, credited to my account. 
so that when God looks at me, He looks at me through the lens of the righteousness of Christ and sees me that way and declares me not guilty. And Jesus ascended into heaven to begin His heavenly ministry as my high priest and the mediator of this new covenant. We're not under the old covenant anymore. We don't have to go to Jerusalem three times a year, men, and offer the sacrifices for the atonement for our sin. Christ is our once-for-all sacrifice. And the writer of Hebrews rejoiced in this, saying in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So praise God that He is our intercessor. Praise God that He is always there to help us in our times of need. And He knows what we're going through. Everything you've ever faced in your life, Jesus knows what it's like. He's been through it. He knows how to help us. And as Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him. Through Him. John 14.6 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Me. He's able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. So the comfort that we should experience because of the ascension of Christ. He's our high priest and the mediator of the new covenant. But there's more. Here's a third thing. His ascension meant the sending of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told His disciples in that upper room, I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Comforter or the Counselor or the Helper, depending on what version of the Bible you're reading, He will not come to you, but if I go, I will send Him to you. Well, Jesus was referring, of course, to the Holy Spirit. Christ descended back into heaven, and the Holy Spirit came. And that is the way that Jesus could be near to all of us, because His ascension ended the period of his human limitations, like being in one place at one time. Through the coming of the Holy Spirit, he's omnipresent. He can be everywhere at the same time, and he chooses to reside in those who accept him as Lord and Savior. Just imagine if Jesus had chosen Jerusalem as the place of his throne. And localized there, he would have deprived every other place of his presence. But he didn't do that. By ascending back into heaven, all restrictions have been removed. And he is our ever-present Lord and King with all who belong to him wherever they go. Here's a fourth thing. Jesus' ascension into heaven means that we have power. And that power comes through the Holy Spirit. Jesus supplies power to His church. I mean, He's at the Father's right hand, and therefore all power is His. Jesus said in John 14, 12, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. How many times have you read that and missed it? Jesus says that for those who believe in him, they would do greater works than he did, because why? Because he goes to the Father. Wow. And indeed, his disciples did those greater works not long after. Because not many days later, the disciples saw the truth of that on the day of Pentecost. Jesus had ascended to heaven, had given gifts to his people by his Spirit, and then had empowered them by his Spirit. And folks, the greatest of all works is the salvation of a soul. Soul winning is a greater work than performing a miracle. It's a greater work considering the poor vessels God uses to preach a saving word. And on that day of Pentecost, the disciples, having stayed in Jerusalem at the Lord's command, waiting to be clothed with power from on high, which he had promised, they experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit that day. They began to speak in other languages that they had never learned before. And everyone in Jerusalem that heard them speak heard the gospel in their own language so they could understand it. Now there were some there not understanding what was going on that accused him of being drunk. But Peter stood up and told him, these men aren't drunk, it's just the third hour of the day. Just nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And Peter quotes that prophecy. And from that scripture he went on to preach the gospel about Jesus. And in doing so, Peter used the keys that had been given to him to unlock the doors and open them wide so that people could enter the kingdom that Jesus had ascended in order to inaugurate. And about 3,000 souls accepted and believed the message. They obeyed the gospel by repenting of their sins and being immersed in water as Peter commanded them. And those that did so received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That happened on the day of Pentecost. And Pentecost Sunday this year is on June the 5th. The first Sunday of June. And that's the date that we have set for our next Decision Sunday. There are those among us that may want to enter into the kingdom of God so that they can be saved for all of eternity. And we pray you'll make that decision. And you enter into that kingdom the same way these people did in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. By receiving the word of God, repenting of your sins, being immersed in water for the remission of your sins, and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's never changed. But maybe some of you have already obeyed the gospel. Already done that, but you're looking for a church home. And we would just love to have you in our family here at New Hope. Whether you've drifted away from the Lord or are trying to renew your commitment to Him, maybe you've recently moved into the area and you're looking for a church home, we pray you'll consider New Hope. We're not perfect, but together we can help each other grow stronger in the Lord. One last one, very quickly, and that is Jesus ascended into heaven to prepare a place for us. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
I go to prepare a place for you there. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I don't know exactly what that mansion or dwelling place is going to look like, but it's going to far exceed anything that my feeble mind can conceive. And it'll be there in His presence that I'll spend eternity. Because Jesus has ascended into heaven, He's now preparing places for all those who come into His kingdom. And so the ascension of our Lord to heaven brought about the inauguration of His kingdom. He was highly exalted. We will be exalted as well. It brought about His intercession for us as our great high priest. It brought about His presence with us through the Holy Spirit. It brought about His power through that same Spirit. And it will bring about a prepared place for a prepared people. This is any wonder that Paul wrote there in 1 Timothy 3.16, Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up to glory. Praise God. And one day, in the same way the disciples saw Him ascend into heaven, He will return. He'll return just as He left, literally, bodily, and visibly in the clouds. Jim Hill, in 1955, wrote a song that I just love, that we're going to sing as our decision hymn this morning. What a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day, that'll be. If you have a decision you need to make for Christ today, we encourage you to make it right now as we stand, as we sing.